The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. We're proud to say that Bet DSI have rejoined us once again as one of our keynote sponsors on Three Yards Per Carry. We welcome them and we welcome you to join up with them. The NFL season obviously kicks off at the weekend. The college football season has just got underway, but it's not just limited to football. The baseball playoffs are coming. Uh, there are a myriad of other sports out there that you could bet on. There's entertainment things, there's politics things at betdsi.com. They have a great app. I've used it myself. I know the boys have used it too. They have a great mobile interface. And you know, this year, you can get 101% match bonus on your first deposit of up to $1,000. That's 101% match bonus on your first deposit of up to $1,000. Use the code YARDS101. As always, YARDS101. Bet DSI for all of your betting needs and other ones that you probably didn't even know existed. Yards 101 with Bet DSI. Welcome to 3 Yards Per Carry, but before we go on with today's episode, let me tell you about a great sponsor of the 3 Yards Per Carry podcast, and that is AutoNation. If you're looking to buy or sell a vehicle, AutoNation is where you want to go. They're the largest auto retailer from coast to coast, and the friendly and knowledgeable staff here in South Florida will help you save big on huge selection of new cars, trucks, and SUVs, Toyota, Honda, Chevrolet, Mercedes-Benz, and much, much more. If you're looking to buy pre-owned, shop AutoNation's huge selection of one-priced pre-owned vehicles. They're all clearly marked with one price, their lowest price, guaranteed. Or if you just want to get rid of that old car, turn it in for cash today. Get a top dollar offer and check the same day. They'll buy your car with no purchase necessary. Is your check engine light on? Right now, get their services you need at low AutoNation prices. Oil changes, tires, batteries, and more. All for less. Call or visit AutoNation.com to schedule your appointment today. If you are in the market for a new car, DM us at 3 yards per carry. That's at the number 3 yards per carry on Twitter. And I'll give you an AutoNation senior manager your info so they can reach out to you directly and walk you through the buying process. Now, on with the show. Welcome to 3 Yards Per Carry, a podcast covering the Miami Dolphins and the NFL. Now, here's your hosts, Chris, Alf, and Simon. And we're on, and welcome to another edition of 3 Yards Per Carry. This is our 100th edition of 3 Yards Per Carry. I know we've done more shows than 100, but title shows, we have 100. And I do have Simon Clancy from Tokyo, Japan. And he's actually in bed right now, and it's 8.35 in the morning for him. So, bear with him. And I have Chris Kaufman here with me. Okay, guys, I'm going to go to Simon first because you guys have not heard from him in a while. Simon, did you watch any of this game 
against the Buffalo Bills on Sunday? Well, I, do, I didn't see it live, but I have subsequently seen it back uh, by the powers of the internet. So, yes, I have seen it. Okay. Were you terrified, shocked? What were your emotions watching that? Um, terrified, generally terrified. <clears throat> Excuse me. And it's also made me think that this team, this team's playing really hard, actually. Yes. Look by the last couple of weeks, this team's been well coached and it's playing hard. And I actually, much as it pains me to say it, because I've been on the 0 and 16 bandwagon since about March, but this team, I, I genuinely believe, is going to win one or two games a season. I, I just don't think they can t- continue to play that hard with such a paucity of talent uh, and not get over the line, maybe against the Bengals, maybe against the Jets. I, I, I don't know. I just think that there's enough there for them to... The Steelers in a way. Especially with... Uh, um, I think the Steelers' defence is pretty that's, good. That's and, scary. Um, that one doesn't worry me. I think the Steelers will be fine. It's the... It's the the, I mean, the Bengals is the one. And I think, you know, Ryan Fitzpatrick just provides that little bit of spark, a little bit of magic that, magic in inverted commas, that, um, you know, I, can maybe get us across the line in one of those one of those games. I, I thought they did all right yesterday, actually. You know, there's, I mean, I looked at the game and I was thinking, who are these guys starting at cornerback? I've never even heard of one of them. You know, they're, they're doing it with, but it's true, they're doing it with trashy street free agents, late round draft picks. You know, they're not doing it with big-name guys at all. You know, Howard not playing, Wilkins out in the first minute. And yet, you know, they they played pretty well, I thought. You know, and, and essentially they were held back by their own limitation and a couple of mistakes. But, but they're going, you know, the game was wider than it was. Final score was wider than it was because of the return for a touchdown and an onside kick, which I don't think I've ever seen in my life. You know, otherwise it's a... You know, you just take it, take into consideration the Bills were a one-loss team, and they, that one loss came against the defending Super Bowl champions when and they, they had were driving every right to win that game. Exactly, they were driving to win the game at the end. Um, you know, on the road in one of the toughest environments in pro football, we all know what what Buffalo is like to play, and it's a difficult place. And um, yeah, they were they were unlucky at times. I mean, the, the you know class outed at the end, but I think a win is on the horizon, much as it pains me. Chris. I to to play counterpoint to that I would bring up a couple of things. One, Buffalo, this isn't this is a division matchup, right? And we know that no matter how good either team is and how bad either team is, when it comes to division matchups, I mean look no further than what our record against the Patriots over the last couple of years. Were the Patriots ever an inferior team to the Dolphins? No, not even close. No. And yet we won. A lot you know we won at home and there was the in, miracle in exciting and, fashion and you could and you can argue dominating fashion at least one time yeah i mean there was the miracle there was some other games there were some good games i mean tonight i, I halfway think that uh so many people are kind of jumping on the jets bandwagon for tonight's game against the uh against the patriots because of adam game's home record against the patriots when he was with the dolphins and <laughs> I think division matchups, weird things happen. You know, might might be a little closer than you would have thought. It was. I'll give you a seven- weird stat. When if you're talking about division, weird things happen inside the division. The Jets have covered six consecutive times at home against the Patriots. Well, there you go. And and this is seventeen point. There was a seventeen point spread uh, in this game, which is ludicrous. And and it ended up being closer than that. Um, 
and yet at the same time, if you really look through to the end, you go to that Ryan Fitzpatrick bobbled snap and the ball just keeps going backward and backward and getting kicked around everywhere. I mean, how close were the Bills to actually scooping and scoring that and actually getting that 17-point spread after all? Um, it, was, it was weird. But, uh, yeah, I, I think division matchup, weird things happen. Um, so it, it could always be closer than you think. Uh, I think – what I really pay attention to in this game, though, is the fact that they were looking good and they were riding a high. And clearly, since Ryan Fitzpatrick took over in the fourth quarter against the Redskins, the whole team has been, you know, kind of riding a, a little bit of an upswing. And um, and it's really it was it's from that fourth quarter on because special teams was playing well in the fourth quarter against the Redskins and, you know, defense and all, all the phases started playing real football and yet they still lost it and they still lost it in embarrassing fashion. You know, they, if you look at this game and what, what they did ultimately, I mean, there was, they got to the goal line, they were ahead and then they took that monstrous loss to uh, Jordan Phillips um, uh, you know, as I said on Twitter, that was probably the best play he's ever made for the Dolphins. Um, and and then throw that pick, you know, in, in the end zone uh, with Ryan Fitzpatrick, which leads to a score, like a 98 a 98-yard drive that the Bills go on. And from there, they just kind of took it. And it's, so it's, it's sort of like exploring all of the different ways that a bad team can find to lose a game. Yeah. We haven't really gotten a chance to explore. We hadn't really gotten a chance to explore that during some of the early season stuff because we were just getting blown out, right? It was just bad, you know, against Baltimore, against New England. You know, it was just just totally getting destroyed. But there are a lot of ways that you can lose a game ultimately, <laughs> and, and the Dolphins yeah. kind of displayed this in this game. So I do think they're riding a cycl- little bit of a cyclical upswing with Ryan Fitzpatrick, but we know from history that doesn't last with him, Ryan Fitzpatrick. I mean, he oh. starts playing really perfectly and and starts playing really well, and then, oh boy, you know, then then all of a sudden it um, it really goes uh, tits up. And, and that's what I think could happen as we go on, and that's what I would caution people. Now, on the other hand, hey, on defense, they've rationalized some things. They've rationalized how they're using Jerome Baker. Um, he's in the box more. He's, he's, not, he's not being used, um, you know, in, in ways that didn't, wouldn't have made sense. They're using Vince Beagle a lot more, and he's a positive force for, for defense. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's a so I think, I, I think that they are, they are sort of rationalizing the defense a little bit. But at the same time, the, the weaknesses remain. Bobby McCain at free safety is going to get I – mean, he was found out early in the year, and he's going to get found out again by better passers than Josh Allen, right? And, um, and we, we're throwing out, as you said, guys off the street that we just met, Ryan Lewis, you know, Ken Webster, guys like that. We're throwing these guys out at corner. Jamal Wiltz is still playing a lot. That's that's bad. Um, you know, it's it's really bad in that secondary, and they rely on the secondary in this style of defense a whole lot. Chris Lamans and and Nick Needham, uh, you know, all those guys are going to stop stop these teams for the rest of the year. I I don't know. I mean, I'm, I still think zero and sixteen is on the table because if if this is if this is us on an upswing, 
that's not good enough. No, of course that's, not. That's what I would. That's what I would say. Although I would say I would say this, and this is the only thing I'm going to say about about the game. Patrick Graham was working up a sweat on that sideline. I don't know if you guys <laughs> were watching the TV feed, but they seem to have a plan for Josh Allen and how to control him. And what they were doing is just bringing up the safety to try to engage the backs out of the backfield and try to keep Jerome Baker clean, as clean as possible. Because, you know, the Bills kind of do what this kind of design run thing where they have an RPO and they release the back right at the Mike backer to try to hit him. Mm -hmm. And I guess we figured out that that was a way to keep the way, the way to keep Baker clean is to bring up a safety and try to engage the back before he could engage Rob. uh, I mean, Jerome Baker. And that seemed to work, but then all of a sudden it wasn't working. And Patrick Graham was all over the sideline, just finding people, finding bodies to and try to teach what they wanted to do to try to, you know, keep Jerome Baker clean, I guess, or to try to stop Josh Allen. None of it worked. And I think that's what, like, if we're going to talk about why they lost the game, they lost the game because they couldn't control Josh Allen anymore. And he got positive yardage on a, on a couple of downs that kind of broke their back, I thought. And that was yeah, there were whole, there were things to there were things to be had all over that secondary. I thought yes, if absolutely. you were watching just the you know John Brown and some of the receivers running around and you know Josh Allen, we knew we know that he's got adventurous accuracy, yeah. and um, and so he wasn't he wasn't able to fully take advantage of it. But if there, we got in any short yardage situation and running situation with Josh Allen at quarterback, you knew it was going to be converted. Absolutely. You knew that two point con- that two point conversion was going to be converted. Um, we could not set set the edge whatsoever against no, the run. Absolutely, uh, and that's not getting better. We're not putting any better defense ends out there. No, and I thought right. the tackle Charlton was going to be uh, not an anecdote, but a rotation guy in that regard, and he's absolutely horrible at it. Mm. Like I don't yeah, know, was, I, I don't know good. what he does half of the time. But I mean, Christian Wilkins going out of the game so early was you know both stupid and and uh, and painful. I think, but. There's a lot of stuff. I I do I do want to commend them though because the whole the linebacker thing with Vince Beagle. I mean Sam Agavon, as you you've seen the last two games in particular, has become a real small part time bit player. Yeah. Um, only yeah. getting you know twelve to eighteen snaps in the game, and Vince Beagle is getting on the field a lot more. He's getting in like forty snaps, and as a result, Jerome Baker is being you know, not quite exclusively used in the box, but um, but more so, and he's doing better. So you're seeing more of the linebacking, linebacker style and, I guess, production and results that you would expect from a, um, a New England-style Brian Flores defense. But we know that they rely so much on that secondary. They had six defensive backs at a time, you know, and stuff like that. And who, who are they throwing out there? I mean, Ryan Lewis, Ken Webster – you know, uh, Jamal Wiltz, uh, it's, it's yes. Nick Needham, it's, you know, come on. Now let me the ask- best guy out there is, is Bobby McCain, and he shouldn't be playing free safety. Yeah. Now let me ask Simon this. We talked about before the season was going to kick off that this team was going to be bad. But we had tweeted out, especially Chris. Chris had tweeted out that good coaches don't go on 16. Mm. And that you wanted to see a team – fight now look i i am also in the camp that there could be one win but i could easily like if i if you had if i had to bet 
one win or zero wins, I still go with zero wins because I don't think it's going to get better from here. It's just only going to, it's only going to get worse. So I think 0-16 is definitely possible. But I don't want to be a complete hypocrite. I did say that good coaches don't go 0-16, but these are extremely difficult circumstances. In my opinion, and I know this is crazy to say, I think arrow up on Brian Flores so mm. far. What do you think, Simon? I agree. I mean, I said it at the top. I think the last, certainly the last two games, I think the coaching staff has done a terrific job of, you know, um, putting a, a terrible team in a good situation to try and win. And they yeah. are a terrible team. Let's no, make no bones about it. You know, but they're playing hard. And, you know, there's no, that, that's, a, that's a coaching staff and a group of players that is definitely not tanking. They, they are aware of the situation. They're aware of the situation they're put in, clearly. But they're playing their hearts out. And you only have to look at, you know, Bobby McCain's reaction to the loss against the Chargers last week, to Christian Wilkins being chucked out of the game because he was, you know, because he threw a punch at Cody Ford. You can say that that's a stupid mistake, and it was. And, you know, but it, he clearly cares. It's not just, it's, it's not born out of, it's born out of frustration of not being able to win, I'm sure. Um so, yeah, I think the coaching staff are doing a terrific job. And you know, look at the special teams, guys. I mean, they're coming out with trickeration after that. That fake field goal mm-hmm. was a terrific play. It was a terrific play call. You know, I just hope that when we're good in a couple of years' time that we haven't thrown all our great trick plays out of the, you know, into the water so that people Although can see what's floating. But... I will say this. Sending your punter basically lead 32, is I don't think it's a good idea under any circumstances. Uh-huh. He, he loved. He showed some moxie running up in there as well. I mean, he did. Down got a couple of extra yards. I thought what it was a terrific. A hard runner, our punter for the year. Yeah, I mean, if if, if one of he the might be our power injured, back now. I was going to say, Chandler Cox better watch his ass on the. Um, I know. You know but at, at the same, does, isn't it? Doesn't it go both ways though, Simon? Because I mean, we saw that we saw that onside kick return for a touchdown, which you never see. Yeah. You never see. In the, I've I, seen, I, it, like, I've seen it in college times in my life. I've seen it in college, and I think I saw it twice in one game uh, in a UCLA game once, um, but in, in college. But I've never seen it in the pros. I've seen it yeah, before desperate, a couple of times. Desperate teams, desperate teams do desperate things, don't they? I mean, it's, yeah, um, yeah. But, I mean, it's so I think it, it does cut a little bit both ways on the special teams. They started to play better, and for the first time, I think they were not – uh, actually a good unit in the fourth quarter against the Redskins as they were playing whole team football. And um, they were good at times in this game, but it was, it was also kind of going both ways because of that, that onside kick uh, return touchdown. But I, I don't know. I, I think that um, I think that they still found surprising and alarming ways to lose. And I think that as long as they're still making curious decisions, you know, in, in the week, in the days before the game, uh, with guys like Xavier Howard and Rashad Jones being given essentially veterans days off um, for, the, for game day, um, then I can't, you, you're not going to be able to convince me that there isn't some complicity in this. Uh, and I know it's not showing up on the game day itself, and they're coaching to win the game, and they're they're all trying their asses off, and I get it, but there's something going on there when when you see these yeah, guys they know. just games. yeah, like they know they what's know. up, and what they know is there's a certain guy that they're pretty much targeting. You could say by now, but you are in Tokyo, Japan, and I don't know where you were Saturday night. 
but I was in Hiroshima. Okay. Hmm. Well, you know, I'm not gonna make any jokes, but I was. <laughs> I, I, I saw was at, I was at home. Well, I was at my friend's house actually because I had just gotten there. I had just heard about the injury, and I was watching Michigan and Penn State, and Jim Harbaugh blow yet another game against a ranked opponent. <laughs> and all I knew was that. Tua Tungavailoa had left the game, but it looked to me like, oh, it's an ankle injury. Like, who cares? You know, he'll be back next week. All of a sudden, he's having surgery. And not only is he having surgery, but he's having this contraption put into him. And in the San Diego Union Tribune, I read this morning that it's the very odd situation where it's not something that most doctors recommend. But he wrote on the San Diego Tribune, you know, you know him, you follow him on Twitter, everybody does. Pro Football Doc, he wrote that this is a very weird procedure and that it's not very common for athletes to get this procedure. But Not, the for, doc- not for low-grade high ankle sprains. Exactly. And that common. the doctors that are performing this believe that they're ahead of the curve as far as preventing future high ankle sprains. First of all, when did you learn about the injury, Simon, and your thoughts about all the events that followed? I mean, I watched the game live on, so it was the morning for me. So I was on the bullet train on the way back from from Hiroshima to Tokyo. So I watched the game live until I saw, saw every snap until the injury. Um, you know, you get fearful, don't you? You see the pictures of him leaving the game in an ambulance and, and, and it throws up that, you know, is he injury prone, that debate. I mean, in a minute, I've got something that was sent to me overnight that I'm just reading now from a, from a let's say, a friend in the scouting community. Um, about to, uh, but you know, it was worrying to to see. I mean, in, in one respect, it was worrying to see. In another respect, you think, you know, what if it's bad? If it's that bad, this was the initial thought before you realised, you know, maybe it's only two or three. If it's that bad, do you know what? Just just do Nick Bowser. You don't have anything else to prove. You got mm-hmm. nothing else to, you know, you've done everything. You won a national championship. You finished second in the Heisman. You've put up incredible video game numbers. You know, you've proved everything. You don't need to do anything else. You don't need to put yourself at risk. You don't need to make the, those doubts that are out there. You know, but he got this. Is, he got the surgery precisely because he he doesn't want to do absolutely, that. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Which is, uh, and I wonder. Then the second thought was, I wonder whether that was his decision. I wonder whether that was Nick Saban's mm. decision, or I wonder whether that was his father's decision. Well, let me ask um, you this, Simon, before Chris gets in here. The game ends, and I didn't, see, I didn't see the interview live, but you get to see it, you know, as they break news. Game ends, and Alabama, with their backup quarterback, they produce one more touchdown. Their defense produces oh. more. Their defense essentially wins the game, because Tennessee is not very, very good, but there looked like there was actually some hope there for Tennessee for a while, especially in the third quarter. The game ends, and Nick Saban is asked point blank, and you know what everybody's thinking – is Alabama is the Alabama LSU game in jeopardy now? Because trust me, Tua Tagovailoa doesn't play. Nobody cares. Nobody's going to care about that game. That game is a showdown game between what now a lot of people consider QB one and QB two. But Nick Saban well, point people, blank I, responds, "Oh, he'll be back in a week or two. I think what people care, about? obviously, because people want to see what Joe Burrow will do against that Alabama defense. I think people care whether Tua plays or not. But I mean. Who knows? It just seems like a very... And there were the pictures of Tua in the locker room afterwards, coming back from the hospital. And, you know, the guys at Reuben Davis made the song about him and they were smoking cigars together. And so uh, it feels like it's a... It feels like it's a protectionism from, the, from Tua's family. 
I think perhaps the decision to have the operation. I, who knows what the whys and wherefores are. And it will probably come out in the media over the next few days or a few weeks, possibly about whose decision it was to have the, to have the surgery. But we shall see. It's a, it's an interesting one for sure. And it does, you know, look, the injury is going to throw up a, a red flag regardless. The decision to have the injury, uh, the, to have the operation potentially might be another red flag for, you know, NFL teams looking around and seeing, look, what's happening with this kid? What's the background? What's the, you know, what level of involvement do the parents have, et cetera, et cetera. We should see. I yeah, think well, that, now, yeah, I think has, that the team has, now he has hardware in both ankles. So it's something you mm. have to consider. So I think the teams will look at the fact that he's, that he's gone ahead and had this surgery twice now. And as far as uh, attitude and, and um, character are concerned, they'll look at that as positives, unqualified positives, because there's only one reason you, you risk the tightrope surgery and you go with an invasive surgery as opposed to non-operating uh, treatment for an ankle, for an ankle sprain. And the, on, the only reason you do that is you want to come back unnaturally fast. Yeah. And that's what, that's what the tightrope surgery is all about. Now, uh, from what I know about the tightrope surgery that we're talking about, um, this is something that is peculiar to Alabama. I know some other teams are doing it as well. The, uh, the guys who, the guys who do the surgery are basically trying to, um, to peddle it out there to other teams and say, this is just, this is just, as you said, ahead of the curve. This is a, a really good, really good way to get your guy back early. And also, I mean, the thing that people that you have to understand about this is these doctors believe that, this works prophylactically for future ankle sprains that the tightrope procedure and the, the, um, the high tensile wire that holds the two bones in your leg together uh, will actually stabilize that kind of permanently. And they tell players that are having the surgery, Alabama players, they tell them it's basically, I mean, it's nearly impossible to sprain your ankle the same way again once you do this. So in some ways this surgery is like, you know, why wouldn't you get it? You get it now, you come back sooner, and you're not going to sprain your ankle the same way again. It's, um, it's, a, it's a good deal. The reason why I think a lot of people don't do it is because this is about invasive surgery versus non-operating, non-operating treatment. And there's, there's a, it's a boogeyman. Like invasive surgery is a boogeyman because anything could go wrong you know, and you can have human error in there with the surgeon. I mean, for all we know, uh, there's, there's a lot of things that can go wrong when you have an invasive surgery. And this does involve like, you know, putting plates on several bones and screws and, and yeah, using I saw the, the um, I saw the, I saw the little, it, it's, it, they kind of thread. Imagine like, if, you know, cause this is a, this is not a visual medium, but I've already seen the, the video of how they do the, the surgery. Uh, imagine the laces on your shoes. Now imagine those holes that you have where you put the laces through. Imagine them on the either side of your ankle. And then they put, they lace those wires across and then they tighten them. And then they yeah, flex. I think it's just one wire, but I mean, yeah. It's, yeah, but they it, run it, it through goes, the, the It goes hole. through the bones yes. to the opposite sides of the bones, yes. you know, attached to screws and then tightened it and, um, and, you know, stabilizes the joint. They say for good you know, basically. And so it's, it's hard, it's hard to sprain your ankle in that way. I mean, you could do it other ways, but it's hard to sprain your ankle in that way again. 
So, I mean, this is very peculiar to Alabama. I mean, they, they, they do it a lot in Alabama. If you, if you read about it, there's, there's several, many players that have had this. Um, yeah. And you might not have realized that these players uh, had it. Going back to 2014, Cam Robinson had it. Yeah. Um, so the thing is I that think most people, most people, uh, they look at that and what freaks people out is that a lot of people, if you've been any kind of active, you've sprained your ankle and sometimes you've had a high ankle sprain. If you play tennis, you play basketball, especially if you play basketball and everybody knows how to treat it, you know, stay off of it as much as you can for four weeks and then you're kind of okay. And then yeah. like in six weeks, you're probably at a hundred percent. And it seems pretty easy to do that. Right. Yeah, and that's just, why, that's why you go back to this. That's why you go back to this. Should I have it and not have it like the non-operating treatment versus operating treatment? Well, I'm just going with a non-operating treatment. But at the same time, like if you don't do this, then could somebody could could you be prone to ankle sprains? I know I talk to people that they feel like they're just prone to ankle sprains uh, in, in sports or they were. And and so I think that's, you know, this I think is, that's true. I think that's and true. this this could go. This could actually this could actually prevent that uh, this type of surgery. So, uh, you know, you look at it, and you're like, oh man, he's got hardware in both in both of his ankles, but he doesn't have the hardware because the ankle sprains were that bad and that he's that injury prone. That wasn't it. This is a, a special peculiar thing that the doctors in Alabama prescribe that they really believe in, and that he went ahead and did for the team, you know, uh, risked the invasive surgery and seems to have come out okay on both occasions um, and risked the surgery to do for his team so that he can come back and like he's practicing in like 13 days later or something like that. Yeah. So I think that, and this is particularly because LSU is on the horizon. They've got that, that game circled. So, so that's what's that's what this is about. He wants to come back and play that LSU game. He doesn't want to. He doesn't want to hear anything about this Nick Bosa stuff. You know, like, uh, well, I've I've done enough. I'm I'm just gonna hang it up and wait for the draft. Mm -hmm. uh, he wants to play LSU, beat them, go to the college football playoffs, win the national title, and um and that's why he did it. So so teams are gonna look at that as a positive. I think let he'll do anything from a football st yeah. standpoint to be on the field. Yeah. I think the three week return is, is pushing the limits of what that angle can do. Yeah. Personally, you know, look at the time span realistically it took him to get back from the ankle last year. And it was, it was a month really. And he wasn't right in that Clemson game. We know he wasn't right in that Clemson game. He was, he was, but he was okay in the Oklahoma game before that. Yeah, he was, he was. But it's a, it's a, the procedure is essentially a month. I think three. So they've got, well, they've got Arkansas, then the bye week, and then mm -hmm. LSU. Or uh, bye week, and, oh, sorry, LSU. So it's touch and go whether he's going to be 100% against. Yeah, that, that's know. definitely on the edge. Like the, I mean, the, look, it's – and let's, let's not forget who he's, play, who he's playing against. You know, chasing mm -hmm. up front, Grant, Delpit, good speedy linebackers. And, and then, the, you know, the, the, arguably the two best corners in – in college football at the moment, in Stingley and, and Christian Fulton, you know, along, mm -hmm. with, along with the kid at Ohio State. In my um, opinion, I think he's really playing against the guy that we're going to talk about here next, and that's Joe Burrow because they're scoring points. He's going to have to. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I, uh, I think it's interesting, and I think I just just pass on what my this, this message I got overnight from a from a guy who works in the scouting community who knows how and who likes tour as well. But he said, uh, the message is this, you guys need to understand that the NFL isn't nearly as high on tour as the media are, which is a very interesting point. Um, mm. I mean, I don't know if it's right or whether it's wrong. 
um, and he as a scout is singing from the from our choir. But I do think it's interesting that that, that is out there from somebody who clear who's on the road a lot um, and is dealing with the conversations that we have as fans, but they have in reality because that's their job. I don't, I don't agree with it, but it, I certainly think it's worth talking about. But doesn't it seem like that happens, like, during the season? Uh, and then, like, I mean, doesn't it seem like the interest in these players revs up? You know what I mean? Like, it, like it's during the season. So, like, who was – Kyler Murray wasn't number one overall pick uh, oh. during season. Not even close, right? And, and it was like, oh, well, you know, he's going to be in baseball. Maybe he should play baseball. He shouldn't really be in the NFL. Scouts were saying this. Scouts were like, we're on, on this. They were not saying he was number one overall pick. And, and then all of a sudden, you know, the GMs start weighing in. The GMs start getting involved a little bit later in the process. And they're the ones that are like, yeah, this is, this is number one overall pick. This, is, um, this to so- me is analysis by paralysis in a way. This yeah. to me is indicative of, uh, and, and fans certainly do this all the time, but this to me is indicative of the Joe Burrow situation. Now, I, I like Burrow significantly more than you two do, which I'm sure we'll get onto. But this is indicative of a guy who's, who's all of a sudden worked very hard with an offensive coordinator and Joe Brady and has found a system that perfectly fits his style of play. Last year, he was up and down because, you know, had some big games specifically against Auburn last year um, and played very well in, in, in spells. Certainly showed good leadership and accuracy and those sorts of things, but wasn't, you know, certainly not the guy that we're seeing now. But this he, feels like... He did look like crap against Alabama last year. Yeah, he didn't play very well in games, but, but he did play very well in other games. And I think, we, you know, we need to, we need to mention that. But, um, you know, what he's doing this season, you know, he, is, he has played extremely, extremely well. But it feels like all of a sudden there's a guy that's played six really good games, you know, mm. his foot firmly on the accelerator. He set LSU passing records already, um, you know, halfway through the season. And it feels like everybody's saying, oh, here's this shiny new toy that is unbeatable and he's going to be better than two because he's the guy's played six games mm-hmm. at this level. Seven. Seven. Seven games at this level now. Yeah. Tua has played what? Two seasons was second in the Heisman. It's probably first well, or second in this year's Heisman. Two seasons race. plus playoffs, right? Yeah, that, I mean that's what it's going to get to. I mean yeah. he's he's literally played you know two full seasons. He won a national championship coming in when there were three touchdowns down. Um, I'm not sure what else the kid can do. You know, I'm not sure what else Tua can do mm. to prove well, how good he is. Something kind of interesting that happened over the weekend was Daniel Jeremiah was playing like some type of uh, matchmaker. He was playing matchmaker on NFL Network with quarterbacks in the 2020 NFL draft. And he said, Tua to Miami and Burroughs to the Bengals. And when they were saying, okay, but, you know, what if, you know, does, what does Miami trade to Cincinnati to move up to number one if they have to? And he said, regardless of where they finished in the draft order. Yeah, so I don't say he's that. already marrying Joe Burrow to – Cincinnati and Tua Tungavailoa to Miami. So, <clears> I'm, I'm sorry. I just, just I just don't see that. I just don't see that happening at all. I mean, that's not that. I think that's ridiculous. I think this talk about Joe Burrow going number one overall all of a sudden is absolutely. Re- Listen, we have seen this happen. We have seen the the Johnny Come Lately guy um, have a really good one season and then go you know go real high. And and in some cases, it's even been justifiable. But in all Mitchell of those cases. In all of those cases, when they well, Mitchell, Mitch Trubisky hardly played, you know, before that, and he was good, so he was on 
in the little bit that he did play, he was on radar. He had a good year. All of the cases when this happened, they were all physically very impressive uh, prospects, though. Mm-hmm. I mean, these these guys had great arms or, you know, great legs or, you know, were huge. Cam Newton was monstrous and fast and with an arm that could drill a hole through concrete. I mean, it's that that's what you've seen. Kyler Murray, when he did it, you know, he is he was a phenomenal physical talent. The only thing you didn't have was height. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, you, you've seen it in all these cases. Joe Burrow is not that. No. He is not even close to that. Okay. He is, he has, he is a weaker armed guy who uh, has decent size, but doesn't really have legs either. You know, it's not like he's fast, not, not athletic, not elusive, not, not agile. He's um, oh, I don't agree with that. He's crafty, that. He's but very, he's, he's very athletic. athletic. Are you, are you, are you, what are you talking about? Like agile, like a, Agile like a Kyler Murray or a- agile like a Cam Newton or elusive like like one of those he's, guys like he's Baker RG3 ish as far oh, as Baker Mayfield ish he is not even he is not even at Baker Mayfield's level he's got much better athletic ability than Baker Mayfield he I, I do not agree with that at all. well I do not agree with well I mean let's <laughs> leave it there because we could go back and forth for hours but he is he's very athletic he is, he's no. very athletic. Yes, mate. He's very athletic. There's there's some impressive Chris. There's some impressive runs on him on film. He 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 throws a run out there every now. Listen, some four eight guys have impressive runs every now and then too. I mean, I think that I think that Baker Mayfield. If you look at his time throughout Oklahoma, he was elusive. He was magic. Okay, he would make people miss and be elusive in the backfield. This guy, Joe Burrow, isn't elusive. I mean, he might be able to break off a run every now and then, but it's, he's I mean, not elusive. Okay, uh, somebody uh, that no. everybody can measure him up against, and he actually returned to prominence this weekend because he's a winner this weekend. Threw for over 300 yards, two touchdowns, and looked generally beautiful. He was also 8 for 9 on passes over 15 yards. I'm talking about Ryan Tannehill. Does he compare to Ryan Tannehill <laughs> athletically? Ryan Tannehill was good athletically, not elusive. And I think that that's, that's sort of what I'm getting at here. Ryan Tannehill was never elusive as a runner. Okay? You know what I'm getting he from was not Joe crafty. And I, and I talked about this today on Twitter. Man, he is Daniel Jones. That's who he is. He's Daniel back. Jones had, was a good athlete too. Yeah, but d- doesn't he strike you as the Daniel Jones of this year's draft? Somebody's absolutely oh. going to fall in love with him and take him I think he's, higher I than think he he's more accurate. Should. I think he's more accurate than Daniel Jones. Yeah, I think so too. Okay. Yeah, I the thing about fair. Joe Burrow that I watched and I and I spoke about that, that that today on Twitter. If you watch him, his mechanics are perfect. And when I say perfect, I mean perfect, as in absolutely perfect, as in he was coached to be this perfect because that's what he needs to do to gain power on his throws. If you watch him, he does. Oh. Every single big man trick as far as gaining power on your throws. And it's still not coming. Okay. Have, you seen, oh, no. um, have you seen Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, the, the LSU running back who plays next to Burrow? Mm. He looks like – I mean, watch, watch the tape of him. He is Emmett Smith in an LSU uniform. I don't necessarily mean talent level. He just looks exactly mm-hmm. the same as Smith. His running style is just like – it's scary. You're like five foot, five foot eight, 209. Exactly. You just look at him and you go, is that, is that Emmett Smith? I mean, look at the way he runs. Look at the way his head moves. It, it's it's scary. It's very funny to watch. But yeah, yeah, it'll be um it'll be fascinating to see how it plays out with Burrow and Tua in this game, and whether or not Tua is healthy, and uh, and we shall see moving forwards. 
right, I think I think on. I think uh, Burrow though to the point to the point you were making, Alf. Uh, yeah. He if he's if he's overclocking himself, uh, you know, to get power, then that's even more concerning because it's not working. And, but you know, he does it's not. Right he does on. not. He does not throw with power at all at the college level. Um, and we'll see. If, you can he's going to get in the NFL. They're going to ask more. Watch him on film, and let me let me tell our listeners what to look for. Watch him pop his hip. Watch him drop his hip. Watch him move the football from his left nipple to his right nipple as a timing mechanism. Okay, he's doing everything that you teach guys in the high school level on how to get power on your throws, and it actually works better for because you have to teach it differently for guys that are shorter. Okay, like guys that are under six feet, it's it's kind of difficult for them to gain power but a guy that's six four and doesn't have adequate power like if you teach these things and he works on these mechanics and joe burrow has absolutely done that because his mechanics are spotless you can gain some power and that's my problem with him that i don't see i don't see the the benefits of what he's actually done and and furthermore i think it's hurting their short game like screens those shoot routes the little flare routes you want them to be. You want that to be natural and fluid. You don't want a guy going through all these machinations to on his mechanics because somebody taught him he needs to do this, or you know, all hell breaks loose. So I'm not. I'm not buying any of this. This is mumbo jumbo <laughs> at the highest level. This is this is two of my good friends who have got who've made up their mind about a guy, and it's like he can't do this. He can't, and he's clearly she go go and watch the Texas tape. Go and watch the games he's played earlier this season. He is doing everything that you guys are saying he can't do. The arm strength thing I, I'll take on board in terms of the zip the ball comes. He's throwing balls 50, 60 yards down the field without a um, – we'll, we'll see how this plays out as the season goes on, but I'm not happy with you two. <laughs> well, you know what I'm surprised by, though, Simon? Uh, because, you know, comparing him to Tua Tungavailoa, and people will compare them because they're both in the SEC and, you know, he Burrow is, as you said, is the shiny new toy that's being really productive. But one thing I do want to say is, you know what surprises me, Simon, if we're comparing Joe Burrow to Tua Tungavailoa, and a lot of people will be doing that. The thing that surprises me is I've look at the profile of a guy like Joe Burrow. Doesn't have the strongest arm. Doesn't have well. I guess we disagree about his athleticism. Um, he's not Kyler Murray, clearly, uh, as far as athletes go. Um, you look at the profile. He's the do it right guy. You know, he's the you know, on time passes, accurate. You know everything showing touch um his feet and his process aren't as fast as Tua's you know and and Tua has no. more athleticism and a much better arm and and stuff like that and in, and in fact I see it like a bunch of throws that I'm like why are you still holding on the ball there I mean the, the ball the ball should be kind of out by now uh with with several of these throws that Joe Burrow I think he gets away with a lot I come away I, I don't know I watch the tapes of him I come away I'm like that wasn't as good as the stat line, and that—that's what I keep seeing whenever I, um, whenever I watch Joe Burrow. I, I just see incredibly accurate throw after incredibly accurate throw after incredibly accurate throw. Just very accurate. I agree with that. Yes, he is using his legs. Smart player, great leader, tough guy. Doesn't like doesn't like pressure up his in his face. Uh, yeah, up the middle internal pressure he struggles with. But I think he's um is uh, an interesting player. Let's leave it there. An interesting player, and also just you mentioned one name in there. Little nod to Ryan Tannehill, which is going to piss people off. But I watched that the highlights of that Tennessee game, and he was absolutely slinging darts. He made four <laughs> or five absolutely wild throws. So kudos to him. Good guy. 
He looked great in that game, period. Uh, Nobody can argue otherwise. He looked great. And the stats seemed to to prove that. He was accurate downfield. And I don't know if anybody's seen that wide receiver core, but it's a lot of potential and, like, Mm. no – Nothing to really hang your hat on. Maybe Delaney Walker is a guy that's desirable. But A.J. Brown, yeah, everybody likes A.J. Brown, but okay, now go play good, <laughs> you know? Corey Davis, everybody likes Corey Davis, but go, you know, be a top-flight wide receiver like, like you were built. But Ryan Shout Daniel, out to our own guy, though, Preston Williams. I mentioned rookie A.J. Brown. He's, yes. he's on pace for – quietly on pace for over 800 yards as an undrafted. And he will – and if the season ended today, he would be the third-ranked rookie wide receiver in yards right now one thing one thing he has to do though he has to be more consistent holding on to the ball yeah absolutely. so he struggled with drops in key moments and he struggled with fumbles he has to have something to work on as a rookie right (laughs) (laughs) exactly but that is one thing he's gonna have to but boy does he look pretty six five 225 pounds running past people Mm -hmm. yeah he's gonna be really good yeah i think we i think we i think we quietly hit on something kind of big that you can actually put in yeah. front of somebody like Tua Tungavailoa, and he could get excited about playing with. Just okay. scratching the surface, I think, with him. Okay, yeah, very, 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 very quickly before we move on to talk about our 100th episode, KJ Hamler, I was going on and on and on about, about him on WhatsApp. Very quick thoughts, both of you, KJ Hamler. Simon. I'll pass. Yeah, I mean, I've loved him for, for a long time. Um, he's a really, you know, he's a, I mean, it's a cliche, but he's a Tyreek Hill. Miko Hardman kind of guy. He's a terrific player. I mean, I have seen him get destroyed a couple of times. He's a tough, he's a tough sucker, and he's not afraid to put it in there. And you know, he obviously got injured at the end of the game, um, and I saw him get blown up last season as well. But you know, if you're looking for a guy who's going to run like the wind and get himself open and, uh, and make big plays down the field, then then Hamlet's that guy. And you know, uh, the right kind of offensive coordinator with the right quarterback, and you could be, um, you could see a Tyreek Hill type player emerge. He's very good. Yeah, Chris is not a fan, huh? No, I've just, I just, I haven't really spent much time looking at him. So, yeah. all right. But one thing he is a fan of is the Three Yards Per Carry podcast, and this is our 100th episode. Simon, your Meh. favorite Three Yards Per Carry moment of the last 100 episodes, if you have one. Um, the Simon's is definitely. <laughs> I mean, all of them. He's. he's I, can't, I genuinely can't. I genuinely can't. I didn't even know we were doing this. I yeah. genuinely can't think of any. Um, probably just all my great gags. Okay. No. Okay. Silence there. So your favorite, um, your favorite moment of the last one hundred episodes is basically you. Give me some. I tell you what. Give, no, of course not. I'm not that arrogant. Um, give me some <laughs> options, and I'll pick a pick one from an A, B, and C. Okay. Uh, one of my most famous ones, me smuggling a, a dildo from Mexico. Uh, Chris uh, going on this very weird tour of washed-up 80s bands. Uh, you that's going basically to... all of the first month of the show. Yeah, that, that's basically all. Just, <laughs> yeah, We so did all we, our best stuff. Yeah, we right did all then. our best stuff, that, like the first 10 episodes, right? <laughs> Simon going, going to a with... festival in Edinburgh and, uh, and me asking him about Benny Hill. That was pretty funny. I'm going with Backstreet. I th- okay. I think <laughs> no it was. Diggity. I think it was Simon clipping his nails on on. Oh, that was a that was a high, definitely. Yeah, <laughs> no, and, my and favorite. Alf and Alf like calling it out, like, "Are you clipping your fucking nails?" <laughs> <laughs> See, no, my favorite. My me. favorite was Simon doing housework, 
for about 10 minutes straight and I had to finally tell him, you know what, I'm going to leave this in because it's charming, but it's annoying the hell out of me. Remember, like, he was you could, hear the, you could hear the cereal bowl clinking with the spoon on the cereal bowl. <laughs> yes. Don't forget, I'll tell you what the buy highlight is. Getting up or staying up until 2 o'clock in the morning led <laughs> listening to you guys criticize the fact that I have a bowl of cereal to keep me awake. That's my high point. <laughs> or cutting my toenails. Well, the fans would say, the fans would say Mrs. Ross, I think. Uh, oh, yeah, Mrs. Mrs. Ross, Farrah. yes. That's huge. Yes. That was, that was pretty. To that's, uh, that's whatever happened to her, that is, that is a good question. That's the best character we've ever created on the show. That's the only character we've ever created. I was going to say, show. I can't think we created anymore. We have to create Chris Cordero, don't forget. Okay, we keep talking about it and we never do it. Oh, Chris Cordero. Yeah, we had to have we had to have him as a guest during draft season. Oh man, could you imagine? (laughs) So we didn't show up, did he? I wonder what Chris Cordero would sound like on our show. Like we had to get somebody to play. I think he would sound. Can we get the real Chris Cordero? Is the question. I think you would sound exactly like me, (laughs) and exactly like Simon, and then exactly like Alf. Maybe. How could we get the real Chris Cordero when he doesn't even exist? Or does he? Or does he, Simon? Or does he? It was actually just me. <laughs> yeah. The yeah. whole time. So, Chris, your memory of the first 100 episodes? I've given it. I, I think it was, it probably had to be, uh, it probably had to be Simon beginning called out for clipping his nails on air. And, mm. and that's, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I was like the dynamic because Chris, Chris is very, I was like the dynamic between the three of us because I'm kind of, I'm very much a homer. And I think we're all homers. I think we all want to see this team do well. We're all big Dolphin fans. But Chris is always, always look at the games analytically. And Simon always emotionally. And last year was kind of a roller coaster. And Simon being ecstatic after that Bears game and then despondent after the Cincinnati game. I had never heard Simon more despondent in my life. And I've been going back and forth with him in chat rooms and on text for years. Then after that Cincinnati game, when I thought he was going to break into tears, and he said, Ryan Tannehill is just not the guy. Well, <laughs> pissed in a cereal that time, didn't he? I can't. I don't see I can't, it. I can't talk. I can't think. Of, I can't talk about that. I, it will make me ill. Make me cough. Yeah. <laughs> I'm joking. That was the saddest moment on this show when, when, when Simon basically tried to give us religion and told us, He's he's not it. He's not the guy. It's not. Yeah, well, it's going to happen again when we take Justin Herbert over uh, to our <laughs> oh, time Don't you wish that I mean, evil I will, on me? I will be out. Can I just said that Adam Schefter has apparently just told ESPN that Tom Brady is setting himself up to lead the Patriots after this season. I've been oh, saying Jesus. that all year. Yeah. yeah. So Chris Coffin had it first, not Adam Schefter. I did. Had... <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Screw you, Adam Schefter. Our guy just, had it I first. Just... I just uh, basically was guessing. So. so so to recap, Tom Brady out, Tua Tungavailoa in here, oh, and man. the big dog in the division is supposed to be Sam Darnold. Oh, can we dream? <laughs> imagine. Can we, can you can imagine we dream that? about this? You wake up in the morning and the best quarterback in the division is Sam Darnold. What a turn of events that would be for this <laughs> franchise. It would Wouldn't be it? an insane turn of events. Okay. Josh Allen. Josh Allen and Sam Darnold. That's what we have to as- aspire to. The, the, the Patriots trade up to get Tua. <laughs> yeah, with the what? Patriots trade with the or, Bengals. Or Tua, just, Tua pulls an Eli and says, I just want to be a Patriot. Make it happen. Yeah. 
You know? yeah, okay. And then he wins seven Super Bowls. Give me 147 first-round picks. In a 48-year career. God. <laughs> wow. Sickening, Tom Brady leaving me. Why Don't would that be great? Well, Who would they this get? was our 100th oh, episode. Okay. okay? And I noticed you didn't even like give the give a compliment to the episode. It says it was like this was a good. It was definitely was one our 100th episode. It yeah. was fine. We've it, had better, but it was fine. Know, we find we provide great information as always every single week. You know, Simon called us out on our bias on Joe Burrow. <laughs> you know, we don't want. I tell you what, we should say as well. We should say ultimately thank you to everybody that has invested the time to listen to our rambling Absolutely. bullshit for a hundred a hundred episodes because that takes an awful lot. Um, we appreciate you. Uh, we thank you for tuning in. We thank you for your for following us and listening to what we say and taking it on board. So um, yeah, we, we do appreciate you. So thanks a lot. Absolutely, absolutely, and hopefully we give you five hundred more, maybe a thousand more, and hopefully in there there's a Super Bowl win. But that's it. There is no more. I don't know what we'll talk to you on Thursday about, but I'm pretty sure it'll be something and probably Joe Burrow related. But till then. Thanks for listening to Three Yards Per Caddy. You can subscribe via iTunes, on Podbean, or your usual podcast provider. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.